Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. I want to encourage you, uh, you know, as we go through the the message today, um, you know, go back and maybe re-listen. Again, I don't always do that or encourage that to happen, but um, anytime you miss, obviously, you can go online. You can go back and listen to a message that you missed or one you wanted to hear again, forward it to friends. But I really have been enjoying the series. Can I tell you, I think it's probably impacted me more than maybe any other series I think that I've uh, dove into this year. I, I, I know that's kind of interesting to say because we've had so many things happen. Uh, we've talked about fear. We've talked about faith because of the dynamics of what we're walking through. But can I tell you, just a refocusing on real, the real meaning of Christmas has been a, a huge journey for me. I, I Personally, I, I spend hours studying, listening, praying, um, reading, and writing uh, to prepare for Sundays. And I can't tell you how much I've just wanted to dig deeper, deeper, more and more about the Christmas story and aspects of it. I think probably in part because of the, the topic that we tackled, the, the, the gift, the gifts that the wise men brought, a, a, a different look at the Christmas story, uh, probably not the typical one, and today's not going to be your typical Christmas Day message, if you will, or Christmas message. We're going to finish the three, uh, the, the three gifts that the wise men brought. A little bit of background um, for all those that really enjoy the nativity. I'm a nativity fan. Uh, we collect nativities. Um, so I was a little uh, sad when I finally realized, and I think I always knew it, but I didn't really pay attention to it, that the three wi- the wise men, we don't know if there's three, the wise men are not actually part of the nativity. And half of our nativities at home have them in there. And I thought, what are they trying to do? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not true. And, and, uh, but I think there's a powerful message to, to get from the gifts the wise men brought. And so, uh, again, the wise men were not actually at the manger, at the stable. The wise men, we don't know if there was three. We know there was three gifts at least. And so we assume there was three men. Uh, the wise men are, are called magi, um, the, the root word of magicians from where they come from. And that was a big part of that culture. They come from Persia. They actually traveled 900 to 1,000 miles. Um, so they actually arrived where Jesus was about a year and a half Uh, into his life. He was actually a toddler at the time. Uh, They were very well-educated men. They were very wealthy men. They were very important men. In fact, a lot of uh, historians and scholars will refer to them as the three kings. Uh, We have songs that we sing, the three kings. And so they're extremely important. We know that a number of reasons why, what they traveled with, the treasure, um, and also that they had an audience with the king of the land, King Herod, to get in to have an audience with him. And so there's a lot of things that I think when we look at who they are, where they've come from the timing of it, God was obviously trying to say something to us through the gifts that the wise men brought. Interesting to me, the wise men were Gentiles. They were not Jews, so they were not raised in the Jewish traditions. They did not have the writings of the Jews. They did not have the scriptures, if you will. They weren't even necessarily aware of all the old prophets, but yet they had uh, some of the prophecies had come to them, and one in particular out of Micah, which talked about a star out of Jacob that was coming. And so they were following a star based on a prophecy that they had heard. Again, they wouldn't just follow a whim or kind of a myth or just a fun story because they're highly educated, very wealthy. It was such a long journey that they had to make. So there was intentionality with what they did. So they heard enough of something to bring these Gentiles to come and welcome, if you will, the newborn king of the Jews. And, and, I, and I think that, that that says something to you and I about what God was trying to say through them, um, even though they probably didn't even realize it, again, being Gentiles, understanding the magnitude of what God was doing as they were following the star over a period of time. 
Now, what's interesting to me is as I've been trying to share this very uh, transparent journey with you, um, the more and more I'm looking at the Christmas story and everything that we celebrate, the more I, when I look at a manger, the more I see a cross. And because the reality is for you and I, we celebrate the gift of the birth of Jesus and that's right, but we can't stop there because the real gift is the sacrifice on the cross. And I was thinking the other day about that. And if you're like at our home, you know, Amazon's a frequent visitor and, you know, first name basis with our Amazon drivers. And, you know, and so you open the front door and wow, magically there's a, a gift there and it's wonderful and amazing. And, but you don't really enjoy the fullness of it till you open it and experience it. And so I think there's a period of time that happens from the manger to the cross that's important and significant for Jesus to walk out really who he was to be, to be that perfect sacrifice. And then all of a sudden when the cross happens, the sacrifice and he pays for our sins, then that's when we really experience the gift in its fullness. You know, everything that the Bible talks about, I won't go into all those passages, but it talks about even when Mary was told that she would give birth, and Mary, a virgin, would give birth, and it would be the son of God, and then Joseph quietly, the Bible says, was going to put her out or divorce her, but then an angel appeared to him and told Joseph that this was of the Lord and to name him Jesus because he will save the world from their sins. It just seems to me like all the passages of scripture ultimately about the Christmas story point to the sacrifice of the cross. But I think the challenge for you and I, especially in this time and season, especially for those who perhaps don't attend church regularly or don't follow you know, a walk with the Lord, we can tend to live out our Christianity in the stable. I think one of the things that the three wise men did or the three gifts that the wise men brought were, were helping to, to say to us, we have to take our walk with Christ, our Christianity out of the stable, which is really only expressed there for certain times of the year. And we have to live it openly every single day. And I believe that the gifts that were offered express that to us. In fact, when we look at the gifts, we know, uh, well, we'll, take, we'll take a read here first and we'll talk about those gifts. But um, let's start reading in Matthew uh, 2, verse 1. I haven't started there the last two weeks, but Matthew 2, 1 says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? So they, all they knew was to go, at, their assumption was a king of the Jews would be born in the capital in Jerusalem. So they went to Jerusalem because in their mind, that's where a king would be. A king would be born in a palace. A king would be born in the capital in, in the presence of royalty, if you will, and all the things that happen in the capital. So where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we come to worship him. We have come seeking the newborn king. Listen to what they're saying already immediately. We've come seeking the king. Everything that they were saying was about the king. We've traveled this distance because of a king. We've come bearing gifts because of a king. We have been on this long, hard journey because of a king. And it says, we saw his star and we have come to worship him. Verse three says this, King Herod, the king of the day, was deeply disturbed because he was king. And when he heard this, as everyone was in Jerusalem or all those around him, and he called a meeting of the leading priests, the priests, the teachers of religious laws. Listen to that for a second. We'll get back to that. Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? What's interesting to me is all the Gentile kings knew was if you're gonna go look for a king, you go to the capital city to find a king. So they needed somebody at that point, the priests and religious leaders, to then interpret scripture. Now they're gonna quote out of Micah because they didn't have an understanding of scripture because they were Gentiles. And so they needed somebody to tell them what was said about the newborn king. So it says in Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And we're gonna explain the scripture to you, Gentile 
travelers. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least of the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you and will be the shepherd for my people in Israel. Interesting to me. And here's some Gentile kings that have heard some prophecy from times back, and now they're following a star. It's a year and a half after the birth, but they've come seeking a newborn king. They come to the capital where they would expect the king to be. And as they're looking, they don't have any idea beyond that, but they need the scripture, the prophecies interpreted because they don't understand the things of God. So hold that in mind for a second. Let's jump down now to verse nine. And so after this interview, the wise men went on their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped. Now star went ahead of them. Stars don't went. They don't go, right? And stars don't stop above something. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Know the wording child, no longer a baby in a manger, but a child. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now listen to verse 11. They entered the house and saw the child, not baby, not infant, with his mother Mary in a house, not a stable. And they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's talk for one second about that. So here they find out interpretation. Someone interprets the scripture form. Here's what God has said. I'm telling you this. And then all of a sudden, they follow the star. Now they know it's in Bethlehem. And now they go to the home where the child is. And it says, when they saw the child, it says they fell down and worshiped him. The words fell down really in the Greek is one word translated threw themselves down. Three kings, if you will, three highly educated, wealthy men traveling a thousand miles over a period of time. And all of a sudden they look at a child, a toddler, if you will, and something in them caused them to throw themselves down at his, at his feet and worship the toddler king, if you will something significant, something amazing. And I don't know, and I'm just going to presume for a moment here, I don't know if they knew what to expect when they arrived. Here's Gentile kings. They didn't even know where he was. Someone had to interpret scripture for him and tell him, and they get to the place, and all of a sudden in this moment, they're confronted with the reality. This truly is not a baby. This is not an infant or a child or not just another man, if you will, born on a planet. This is the king. This is the king which kings bow down to. And this Bible says then that they bowed down to him. They threw themselves violently on the ground, if you will. And it says, then they opened up their treasure chest. Now, what's interesting to me, and again, I'm going to assume a few things here, that people of their substance wouldn't travel without treasure. I mean, you need it. You need treasure. I don't know that they intended when they left where they came from in, in Persia, modern day, I don't know that they intended, hey, we're going to go visit the newborn king. Let's make sure we have some gifts for him. Why don't you pack some, pack some frankincense, uh, pack some myrrh, uh, pack some gold. Obviously, you don't travel without gold. And if you're going to see a king, you need gold, right? And none of those are gifts for a toddler. You don't get, like, we, we had two babies born. No one gave us frankincense, myrrh, and gold. We would have registered for gold, but nobody gave us any. I mean, it's like, there's no baby golden rattler. There's no stuffed camel. It's like, they, I, here's what, hang in there with me for a second. Here's what I believe. Here are these three, three kings, three, three wise men from the, the gifts. They bring these gifts and they arrive in Jerusalem looking for a king because their expectation, this is where kings would be born. And all of a sudden the star redirects them and the scripture redirects them to a place. And now they come into this house and they see a child. And all of a sudden that encounter right there, there was something about this child. Can I say it? There was something about the king. Oh, and the, the, the manger's cute and wonderful and the eight, point, eight, eight pound, six ounce baby wrapped in a golden diaper. No. And uh, it's, it's wonderful, but there's, there's something about a king and, and we have to get out of the stable to see he's the king of kings and lord of lords. There's something different about this king. And so they throw themselves down. Who, what kings, earthly kings, adult kings would throw themselves down at a year and a half old toddler? 
And then I believe they open up, get the treasure chest, get the treasure chest, come on. And maybe they're digging through it or whatever. No, not this, no, not that, no, not this. And something that maybe they felt impressed. Why wouldn't wealthy, educated men on a long journey, why would they not bring frankincense? Because frankincense was the oil that we understand was burned in the Holy of Holies as prayers offered to God. But understand to Gentiles, frankincense would be something they would take if their stomach was upset. You travel, when we travel to Mexico, especially to Mexico, we bring stuff for our stomach, right? It's just what we do. We bring stuff. So they would pack frankincense on their journey thinking that, okay, so if someone's not feeling good or whatever, we can take a little frankincense. Why wouldn't they travel with myrrh? Because myrrh to a Gentile, myrrh was something you used to dull the pain. Hey, and that long of journey on camels and all kinds of things, you're going to twist your ankle. There's going to be an injury or something. We need something to dull the pain. And then if you're just going to see a king, it's not even about seeing a king, but if you're traveling, you need gold. You're going to be gone for a year. You got the journey there, 900 miles there, and you got 900 miles back, and you got to have gold to last you. So I don't know that they came with this intentionality, but I think in the moment they saw that child, something rose inside of them, even being Gentiles, even this lost and hurting world can recognize there is a king that has come to this earth to save man from their sins. And then they opened up their gifts, and to them it was, here we got this frankincense, and to them it was something they packed thinking that we might need this if we get an upset stomach. But to the Jewish people, it represented the high priest, because the high priest would be the one that would go in the Holy of Holies, and he would burn frankincense, and they all representing the prayers being lifted to God for mercy, for forgiveness of sin. It was the high priest that could be the sacrifice or would do the sacrifice His job was to sacrifice and to lift prayers. And we know Jesus as our high priest, the Bible says, because he became the sacrifice once and for all. And now he's seated at the right hand of God, lifting up prayers on behalf of you and I. Who is this king? And they brought myrrh because if there's a time that they have a headache or something happens, they need to dull the pain. Not knowing perhaps, but to a Jew, myrrh is an embalming fluid. And it spoke to the suffering sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, that this child, now this toddler, were bowing down, were bowing down to the high priest. They didn't know that maybe. They're bowing down to the sacrificial lamb, the one who would give his life, the innocent for the guilty. And then they brought gold and laid it before the king. Before the king. The king. Jesus, the newborn king. And it says they worshiped him passionately and gave extravagantly. What is our only response to the king of kings is to worship him passionately and give to him extravagantly. And we just saw that. You saw people uh, giving and worshiping and and you saw that the expression of all that and that's what we believe and that's, I can can do that to a king. I, I can do that with my life to a king. I believe maybe the wise men helped us get out of the, Stable, and I think some of us still live our Christianity in the stable because we've, we've forgotten that he's the king. Because the king is worthy of our passionate worship. Nobody else is worthy, nothing else, and we give it everywhere else, but it's really the king that gave his life for you and I that's worthy of our worship. And then they gave extravagantly, and we give of what we have extravagantly. We give of ourselves. We just mentioned time. We give time extravagantly serving. We give of our resources for Three Kings Day. We give, what else can we do with the King of Kings but worship passionately and give extravagantly? And here's one of the amazing things. What we didn't put, I didn't put the scripture in here, but the Bible says after they received instruction and the scripture was interpreted for them, they needed somebody to tell them what God said in the scripture to find the king. But after they worshiped him passionately, after they gave to him extravagantly, it says that God spoke to 
to them personally and told them not to go back the way they came. So maybe for you and I, if we really understand that he is the king of kings and will be people that will worship him passionately and give to him extravagantly and will open up our ability to hear clearly from God. And maybe some of us aren't really hearing what God's saying because we forgot he's the king. And if we'll take some time, maybe, and time during this season, not to live life worshiping the manger, but worship the king on the cross that has come down and gave his life, maybe our passionate worship, our extravagant giving will help bring clarity to our mind and our, and our soul and our spirit so we can hear the voice of God. It happened to these Gentiles. They couldn't hear the voice of God, had to have somebody tell them what God was saying until they worshiped passionately and gave extravagantly to the king. And then all of a sudden, they could hear clearly what God was saying to them. Something different about that king. There's something different about our king, the king that we serve. He's a king like no other. He's a king like no other. First Timothy 6:15, the apostle Paul writes to his spiritual son, his protege, his the one he's mentoring, if you will. He writes this to him. He says, For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Paul writes as strongly as can be written in the original language. There's no other way to say this more strongly or forcefully than this, that this is, he is the king of kings of all kings, the one who is supreme, the supreme authority over all the kingdoms of the world and the Lord of all lords. There is none like him. There is none above him. He is the only one worthy of our passionate worship and our extravagant giving. He's a king like no other. And what this manger shows us is our God had a way to show his love for us like no other. And people were expecting a Messiah, a savior, a king to be born. The problem is they're expecting their king to be born like kings should be born. Let the three the men that came from the east, they, they went to Jerusalem. Who wouldn't expect a king to be born in a palace? They expected the king to be surrounded by luxury, comfort, the best care, attendants, servants, and doctors. No one expected that the king would deliver, be delivered and born in abject poverty, in a cave or a stable, surrounded by animals, visited by shepherds from the field. They didn't expect the king or the son of God to be on earth, the son of a carpenter. No one predicted or expected the king, the son of God, to befriend outcasts and sinners and, and prostitutes or touch lepers. No one could have predicted the king would have rejected the teachings of the religious leaders or rebelled against him. They could never have imagined that their king would have selected uneducated fishermen, hated tax collectors, and troublemakers to be his disciples. No one ever would have imagined that their king would ignore the law and forgive a woman who was caught in adultery, the very act and where the law said she should be killed, he released her and forgave her. And they never would have imagined that a king of the Jews would be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the crowds lining the streets would be those of the common man, the outcast, the rejected, the overlooked, the marginalized. No one ever expected a king to be one who would stand trial for crimes he did not commit. No one could have ever imagined or predicted that an innocent king would be beaten, whipped, mocked, and humiliated. And no one could have imagined that a king would die a horrible death hanging on a cross like a criminal between two criminals. No one ever could have imagined the king would, while suffering on a cross, would look up to heaven and ask for mercy for those who are mocking him. When he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when offered a drink of wine mixed with myrrh to dull the pain, he rejected it. 
facing the full punishment to fulfill his father's plan. And no one ever could have imagined, could have ever expected that the king would die a shameful, humiliating death. No one ever could have predicted that when he breathed his last breath that the sky would go dark and the sun at midday would be covered and would go black. And the very earth itself would shake. He's a king like no other. And when they would put the dead king in a borrowed grave, no one expected three days later that the stone would be rolled away. This king was risen from the dead and sits at the right hand of God. A king like no other, a way like no other for God to show his great love to a lost and broken world. And when we look at this story with a wise man, we see three responses to Jesus as a king. And interestingly enough, I believe it's the same three responses today. The first one we see is from King Herod, king of the day, king of the land. And he opposed Jesus as king. He opposed Jesus as king because he wanted to protect his kingship. He wanted to maintain his power. He wanted to maintain his control. He wanted to have a say over everything in his life. He wanted to protect, if you will, his own kingship. And so he had a horrible plan to eliminate all baby boys born in Bethlehem. Say that three times fast. Baby boys born in Bethlehem. He would plan to eliminate them to protect his kingship. He heard there might be a king that threatened his kingdoms, his way, his control. And there are those that would say today, I don't need him. I got this. I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to be in control. I don't need him. I'm going to make my own way in life. Those that would not let anyone or any book tell me what to do or how to live. There are those who oppose him, oppose Jesus as king. The second group was the Jewish priests who interpreted the scripture for the, for the wise men as they came. They, they knew the scripture. They read the prophecies. And yet, being just a short distance away, they dismissed Jesus as king. They didn't go to worship him, but they read all the prophecies. And here's, three, uh, here's wise men from the east, and they're telling them where to find this newborn king. But yet, the priests and religious leaders at the day, they dismissed Jesus as king. And there are people today that dismiss him as king. I'm busy. I got better things to do. Ain't nobody got time for that. You want to come to church with me? No, not today. I got something else going on. You want to come to a Bible study? We're going to read the, the book that gives life. No, I, I'm good. I, I'm not into that book, but you go ahead. I, they're not opposed. They're just too busy, kind of dismissive. But the ultimate response, the three gifts that were brought by wise men, the ultimate response to show reverence and awe and honor to the God of heaven who became one of us in the person of Jesus, they bowed down and worshiped him. Gentiles. And so my question this morning, in light of the Christmas story, if you will, what is your response to the king? Is that you may not say that you would may not come out and say, I oppose him, but your life may say different. I got this. I'll take care of it. I got my own way. You may be one that would say, maybe later, not now. I, I, I don't have time. I, I, I don't want to do the church thing. And you might dismiss him in that way. Or is he the king of your heart? See, here's what I think I said this last week. If your dominant picture of Jesus is as a baby in a manger, then that'll be the image that you follow and your Christianity will never come out of the stable. And you'll bring it out only occasionally throughout the year that suits the 
holiday, if you will, or suits the moment. But if your relationship is of the picture of the king who gave his very life, that's one I can follow with my very life. Maybe the wise men brought their gifts to the king long after he came out of the stable so we would acknowledge him for who he is. Not as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, but as a savior, a sacrifice, a messiah, a king. Born to die so you and I could be born to live. I'd like my family come up and help me. So during this whole study, if you will, it's progressed in me. I've gone from having nothing on the stage, in a sense, to the second week then I had a manger and a cross. And it continues to progress in my heart because now I can't help but see this story. All I see is the cross. And that really is the gift. And how it's so easy for us to miss because we get focused, especially in this time of the year, on the manger, but we cannot live there. And the wise men came so much later than helping us go from the manger to the cross because it's important for us to make that transition because the real gift was not a baby in the manger, but the real gift was a king who stripped himself of the glory of heaven. He was born of a virgin, so he did not have the sinful nature of an earthly father, but the divine nature of a heavenly father. He was born in poverty in a cave He was a king reaching out to the lowest. He was a king reaching out to those who were rejected, unloved, broken. He was a king reaching out to those who can't seem to get it right no matter what they do. He was a king reaching out to those who can't seem to get ahead and they struggle every single day. He was a king reaching out to those whose marriage is on its last thread. Just can't seem to work. And there's strife and there's hurt and there's division and they can't seem to get it to work out. He's a king reaching out to those whose families have fallen apart. The kids have drifted away, kind of gone their own way and you don't even have a relationship you hardly ever talk anymore. He's a king reaching out to those who have broken hearts and broken dreams and things are not the way that I thought they would be. And all I wish it was so much different, it was so much different right now, I really thought that things would work out differently. He's a king reaching out to those who use substances to pick themselves up or to bring themselves down. Substances to cope with a life that they never thought they would be living. Substances to forget, forget the hurts, Forget the pains because they just cannot bear them every day. He's a king reaching out to those who would try and find meaning in what is meaningless. Looking to man, looking to men in position for value and significance. And always seemingly to follow short because we'll never find that there. Reaching out to those who feel unloved and rejected all alone. What is wrong with me? I can't seem to find anybody. I can't find any. I just be alone the rest of my life. I've been hurt. I've been rejected. Relationship after relationship, marriage after marriage, reaching out for those who go to bed at night and can't sleep because their mind just will not stop. Longing for something more. Lonely and empty. Reaching out 
for those who have nowhere else to go. I don't think they can make it one more day. Reaching out to those that feel like, you know, this really isn't the most wonderful time of the year. Reaching out to those who live in fear because of what's happening in the world today. He was a king reaching out to those who had nowhere else to go, who everyone else had turned away, everyone else had walked away, turned their back on them, who everyone else had given up on, who everyone else despised, mocked, persecuted, made fun of. See, he was a king reaching out to people like me, like my family, my marriage. When my marriage was on its last thread, when we couldn't tolerate each other anymore and couldn't go any longer, there was a king reaching out to us, not a baby in a manger, but our relationship with my daughters. When I wasn't connecting as a dad, as a father, when I wasn't able to understand what they were going through and I was just frustrated and I would just not even want to spend time with them. And I couldn't understand why they couldn't understand when God was reaching out to us. When we felt distant and rejected and when our relationships drifted away. It was a king who came to die so that we could live. And that is the gift of Christmas. The king of kings who's come when we are hurting and persecuted and mocked. When we felt alone. That nobody understood. Nobody understands. Nobody cares. In those moments, there was a king who left heaven to come to earth, stripped himself of everything royal, to be a common man, to live a perfect life, to be a sacrifice as a king on a cross for you. Now, I see, I can't look at the manger without seeing the cross, and I hope that that's what you get because it was the king who rescued this family. It's the king who'll rescue yours. You can be seated. Thank you. Not as a baby in a manger, but as a savior on a cross. Our high priest, the one who offered himself as a sacrifice once and for all, and now sits at the right hand of the Father praying for us as our sacrificial lamb. Perfect and sinless, yet took sin upon himself. As our king, king of kings and lord of lords, a king born to die so we can be born to live. Let me tell you about my king. He's not some angry judge in the sky waiting for you to mess up. He's not some big guy in the sky. He's not some 8.6, eight pounds, six ounce newborn baby Jesus. He is the righteous king of kings and he is the lord of lords. He is the king of glory. My king, he is the king of righteousness. Your king, he is the king of the ages. Jesus, this king, heals the sick. He opens blind eyes and deaf ears. He strengthens the weak. This king delivers the captive. This king refreshes those and restores those who are broken and who are hurting. This king, like no other, he is a shelter in time of trouble. He is your light in the midst of your darkness. He is the prince of peace. He is the lamb of God. He is the alpha and omega. He is the resurrection and the life. This king, his goodness is unequaled. His power is unmatched. His grace is irresistible. 
This king, at his name, darkness trembles, and in his presence, demons flee. This king, this king like no other, the devil could not stop him, death could not defeat him, and the grave could not hold him. Jesus is that king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he is worthy of our passionate worship and our extravagant giving. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.